I know I don't have to tell you this, but this episode is only for educational purposes. It is not nutrition or personalized medical advice. We want you to get the most from the episode, but to keep that in mind as well. And we really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Quiet the Diet podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Shapiro. I am an integrative functional registered dietitian in New York City who has helped over 1,000 clients reverse their anxiety, approach their weight lovingly, and heal their digestive issues. I help clients to access liberating self-awareness through humor, compassion, and nuance. I lost 100 pounds the wrong way so that you don't have to, you know, without all the physical and psychological damage that comes along with it. Whole body health requires so much more than just going on a restrictive diet. The Quiet the Diet podcast offers a holistic look at what it takes to be your most vibrant, healthy self. I want to help you quiet the diet so you can focus on all the other parts of your amazing health and life. Welcome to the pod. I can't wait to explore the magic of functional nutrition and medicine together. One way that our body can communicate its needs to us is through the experience we're having and the feelings and thoughts that come up. Sometimes it can be really hard to read and understand those signals that our body is giving us. One way to learn more and get more insights about what our body is experiencing is through using trackers. One tracker that we find exceptionally helpful is continuous glucose monitoring, specifically through the company Vary. Our sponsor Vary today is a great tool to find personalized insights on what works best for your body so that you can truly quiet the diet trends by listening to yourself. By pairing a continuous glucose monitor with an easy-to-use app, in just 14 days, you can understand how to break unhelpful habits and build new ones to improve your metabolic health through nutrition, supportive nervous system support, sleep, and movement. I personally used Vary during my health journey because blood sugar is a basis for all foundations of our health. It is one of the pillars and truly most important pieces of our health, which Carrie and I discuss on today's episode. If you want to find the right foods and habits for your body while improving your health, give Vary a shot with our exclusive $30 off code VSM slash quiet the diet and check out the link in the description notes to purchase directly from the website. Issuing just a note about this episode too, Carrie and I use the word um, skinny jeans in the context of um, people's focus on weight loss. If the word skinny feels threatening or triggering to you, just be aware that that word does come up in the context, of course, of a greater conversation um, about the desires of people and weight loss um, in the context of diet culture and how it's evolved. So just wanted to make a little note of that um, and understand that, of course, any conversation we have on this podcast is going to be incredibly nuanced and with deep care for you, the listener. So just wanted to bring your attention to that and hope you enjoy. We have what I can only say is nutrition royalty on the show today. New York City nutrition royalty, the amazing Carrie Glassman. Carrie Glassman is a renowned celebrity nutritionist, healthy cooking expert, and wellness thought leader. She's the founder and CEO of Nutritious Life and the Nutritious Life Studio, an online certification that provides unparalleled forward-thinking education to individuals of various backgrounds looking to establish successful careers in the health and wellness industry. I'm actually going to give you just a word on Nutritious Life. You know, Carrie is a dietitian, and both of us are dietitians who believe that 
dietitians are incredible nutrition professionals, but we also have a deep respect and understanding for other certifications, other licenses and programs. And Carrie made Nutritious Life with the understanding that food and nutrition and health are so, of course, interconnected, but they aren't the whole puzzle when it comes to our well-being. So Carrie talks on this episode about the eight pillars of health, which she discusses more in her program, Nutritious Life. I am an affiliate for this program because I love it so much. So if you are interested in getting this additional nutrition certification as a registered dietitian or as someone who is a non-dietitian nutrition professional, I really recommend it. It's an incredible program. I brought Carrie on this podcast, not only because she's a friend, not only because she's Um, incredibly empathetic and brilliant, but because we have been talking about the middle ground between diet culture and weight loss and um, body positivity for, for quite a long time. And I think Carrie's evolution in the nutrition world has been so unique. And after having been in the nutrition world for 24 years, she really can speak on that evolution and speak on how things have changed from what she's seen And also understanding that as dietitians, um, when we first get our licenses, uh, the nutrition information that's available from a societal standpoint really can influence the recommendations we're giving. But I think through these 24 years, Carrie has found some very specific nutrition truth that she has really carried with her throughout her whole career, despite what was going on societally, despite um, those pressures. So I want to take that beautiful knowledge of hers um, and bring it you know, into the context of these changes that we see in society. So for that reason, I was really excited to have Carrie on this episode. And it's an absolutely incredible episode. Um, and we talk about those eight pillars of health. Um, and we talk about, again, how the nutrition world has really changed. So this is a wonderful episode with my dear darling friend, Carrie Glassman. And I can't wait for you to listen to it. I am here today with not only a dear and darling friend, but what I would call nutrition royalty. We have Carrie Glassman on the podcast today. I'm so happy you're here, Carrie. I'm blushing. (laughs) You're so sweet. And I am so beyond thrilled and honored to be here on your incredible, enlightening podcast and always amazing and fun and soul filling to spend time with you. I know. I feel exactly the same way. Um, so much so that anytime we get into a conversation, we're talking for like 20 hours. And I said, we <laughs> literally before we started, I said, we need to walk around the Central Park Reservoir at least 10 rounds to get through what we need to get through. 100%. That sounds so fun though. I know. That we, sounds we so love nice. like 5 a.m. chats and walks. It's like our favorite thing. It's so true. You're an, you're an extra super early person like I am. I know. And I love it. I love that when I am up early and I do text you. Some people I worry about texting, like it's going to go off in their ear when they're sleeping and other people I feel like, oh no, they're going to wake up to a text and be like, oh, what did you do that for? So I hold off. But when I, when I respond to you or when I reach out to you early in the morning, I know you're right on that same page. And I love that. (laughs) It's not even a question. And we are going to talk about one of our favorite gadgets today, by the way, which is aura rings and how you and I proudly post our aura stats. I know we both have the gold one too. It's very cute. Um, and something we, we are going to talk today about tracking a little bit too, because I think it can really be a tool for good or a, a triggering tool. So I think it's really interesting mm-hmm. and something that both of I, both of us find, you know, super helpful and, and use in our daily lives. So 
We have a lot to cover today. I think what I really want to hear first from you, Carrie, is I just want to hear about your experience and kind of what you've seen since the day you became a dietitian and kind of how the nutrition world has evolved in that time. So start us with kind of what inspired you to be a dietitian in the first place and what the climate was like then and what it was like to you know, go through schooling then. Wow. There's so much. There's so much there because it's been so long. I mean, you know, I've been a dietitian since 1999. No, sorry. Uh, 1999. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was, yeah. Uh, wow. I can't even believe that. It's actually crazy when I, when I say that. 24 freaking years. <laughs> That's exactly. actually crazy when I say that out loud. Uh, okay. So what inspired me to become a dietitian? So, Going back to college, I was actually a political science major, but I was a little obsessed with nutrition. I was just really fascinated with it. I was an athlete. I paid, played two sports, actually, my freshman year, and then I just played lacrosse for my all, all four years of college. And I was at Tufts, as you know, and there was a there was a big nutrition program, and I did not take nutrition because I was scared of the, of sciences. I didn't think I was a science person. I thought I was an English history, political science person writing papers. I just didn't have that confidence in myself to take what everybody said was these sciences are so hard. So I never took nutrition at Tufts. Um, anyway, fast forward, I, I went into not political science. I was working at Sports Illustrated. I'll save oh, that so story cool. for another time. And when I was there, Sports Illustrated at the time was owned by Time Inc., and we were comped all magazines we wanted. So Time Inc. also owned Health Magazine. And when Health would come out each month, I would sit there at my desk as an ad sales assistant, and I would just ignore my work and devour the entire magazine. Wow. Now, at the time, I, I don't even know, I didn't know a dietitian. I didn't know anybody that was a nutrition coach. I didn't even, I hadn't even considered it as a career. Someone said to me at one point while I was going through the magazine, why aren't you a nutritionist or something? Or you're so into this, you love this. And it was like this light bulb went off. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that's so, I hadn't even thought about it. And I loved this even in college, but I didn't really have the confidence to to do it. Maybe I can do this. Anyway, fast forward, I took nutrition one at NYU while I was still working Fast forward. So that was really where that first like light bulb moment. Wow. This can be a career. I've loved this for a really long time. Actually, I think I've loved nutrition and wellness. I mean, it goes way back even to childhood, but again, I'm trying to, trying to make this. If I possibly can, you know, I'm not short winded. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this a short story, but there's so much here. We want to hear every word. There's so much here. So anyway, so then I went back, then I went back to school. So that's how I really decided to go for it. But like I said, it goes back to even college when I was, um, you know, I, I'd said I played a couple sports there and I was navigating, you know, social life, academics, sports. And it's funny because I, I tell this story often, you know, my friends were doing the typical things that, col that college girls do at the time to stay skinny. You know, they were drinking at the time. It was lots of Diet Coke, doing who, who knows what else, doing whatever kind of crazy diets. And they were fitting perfectly into their skinny jeans. Well, I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to fuel myself for the athletic field and I wanted to, you know, perform on the athletic field, but I gained a whole lot of weight my freshman year with my, you know, my habits changing, changing in college. So, I always say like that was the time when 
And now I know I, I just went back, but it, it all goes together. But that was the time when really Nutritious Life was born, because even though it wasn't many years later after I then had that light bulb moment at Sports Illustrated, and then I had that light bulb moment when I started my practice about how I wanted to build my practice, it really was in college when I was sort of experiencing living a not nutritious life and then also dabbling in a nutritious life and really learning the difference of um, and understanding how all of these, what I now call the pillars of nutritious life, impact one another. And of course, at the time, I wasn't calling it a nutritious life. I didn't even know I was going to go into nutrition. But I always say that the, that the seeds for my whole business and my whole career were really planted during that experience I had as a college athlete and trying to balance fueling myself, but also wanting to fit into my skinny jeans. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting. Many of the dietitians I know, including myself, really went into nutrition for, I, I would say, one of two primary reasons, either for, I would call it ulterior motives, for selfish yeah. reasons. We wanted to learn like the secrets of weight loss or the secrets. Um, a lot of, you know, dietitian colleagues either had eating disorders and they, yeah. you know, it was to heal their eating disorders or, you know, again, opposite wise, they wanted to learn how to learn weight loss or whatever that was. Yeah. And then a lot of people who become dietitians are also just in the, the nature of service, I think to others and people who are very generous and really want to be healers. And that's, you know, a, 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 another group too. And many of us fall into both categories. We want to learn it all right for you. What I think is, is so unique is that probably at the time in the 1990s, which is what I would think is like the biggest diet culture, early 2000s, late 90s is like diet culture era. Yeah. Like, Forever. You actually had a, you were different than other people though, because you, you really weren't chasing thinness. Your interest in nutrition came from this. I want to be a strong well, athlete. I won't put myself above that at all. <laughs> I was certainly also chasing right. thinness. And you mentioned that so, too. That was important yeah, for you losing being, weight. Yes. Yeah. Being transparent there. Absolutely. No, I wasn't trying to say that I was not chasing the thinness. I was chasing that thinness. It was just I wanted to do it in a healthy way so I could also perform. I wasn't going to sacrifice being healthy and being able to be strong and fit. So it wasn't about, okay, what do I have to do just to fit into those skinny jeans? It was, oh, I want to fit into those skinny jeans. <laughs> and this doesn't make sense. I'm the one that's working out every day. I should be fitting into them. But how do I do it in a healthy way? And then it was also realizing that when I did sleep well, wow okay, I was more motivated to eat well. And when I did get that great workout in, I slept better. And again, I didn't put all of these things together so much, but I, it's like I lived it at the time. So yeah, so I don't, I definitely don't want to make it sound no, like no, I was I above that. It was just about performing well. Yeah. You being able to, well, I do want to put you on a pedestal, but in this way, <laughs> you being able to differentiate that I'm going to seek fitness while maintaining my health was very counter at the time. That was, it was, it was kind of like pick yeah. your, pick your battle, which I think did differentiate you, um, probably from right. other people. Like you said, you, you saw your friends, uh, you know, adopting these, I'm assuming low fat diets at the time, or like you said, diet oh, there were lots like of yogurt covered pretzels and fat free. So the bulk candy, it's fat free, but the gut, but the weren't the gummy worms are fat free. We can have as many as we want. It was that era, which is crazy now. And can we talk about, about the low fat era for a second? Were you learning about that in school? Was that like low fat diets? It was definitely like no, 
cholesterol is super not it. I mean, cholesterol was definitely a huge focus at the time, I'm sure. And like, you should be limiting cholesterol to less than 200, you know, milligrams per day or whatever the, you know, there was definitely that. Tell me about that though. Yeah. So we went during those college years, everything was yes, fat free, low calorie fat, you know, low fat. When I, by the time I went to NYU for my master's, we weren't necessarily learning low fat. We were learning low fat, yes, heart healthy for, you know, a heart healthy diet, et cetera. But we weren't learning that all fat was bad. I mean, right away and right away when I started my practice, I was a big believer in fat is your friend. Fat is your friend. What I will say has changed dramatically. And it's funny, I was actually just thinking about this with the first book I wrote. I'll tell you that in a moment. What has changed dramatically is how we view saturated fat. And Mm. that it was definitely more like there are good, healthy fats for you, like these monounsaturated fats, but all saturated fat is bad for you. And there's there was no room for, hey, grass-fed butter and coconut oil, which, by the way, I know some people still don't agree with. But again, that's another conversation. So it's funny, I was actually... um, I had pulled out my first book. Can I go on a tangent here? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> this, is a, this is a tangent-friendly podcast. Please go okay. on all tangents. So I pulled out my first book, which came out in 2006, which is crazy. It was called The Snack Factor Diet. And there is a lot of goodness in that book that I would still stand by today. And of course, there's also a lot in there that has changed dramatically and makes me cringe when I read it. (laughs) But I think the fact, first of all, that I cringe when I read it and I'm not standing by it and I know that the world has changed and a lot of new research has come out is a good thing, right? We have to change with the times. But one thing in particular that I think is a really good example of taking new science and utilizing it and changing the way you give advice, which is something we all need to do in this field. As you know, it's only just over a hundred years old. Um, so one of the snacks in there is, and there's multiple examples of it is fat-free Greek yogurt and nuts, a serving of nuts. Now the fat-free yogurt was obviously in there for the protein and bonus calcium and the nuts were in there for the healthy fat and bonus, you know, fiber and antioxidants, right? a great snack. And the thought was, well, you don't need to get the fat from that yogurt. You can just get the protein from the the yogurt and you can just get the fat from the nuts. We know now that not only full fat yogurt, but even if you just go for low fat yogurt, it's going to be a better choice. Even if, even if you have a little bit less of it, you're going to be more satisfied. There's benefits to some of that saturated fat within a whole food diet. So that's just an example of something that I've absolutely changed my opinion on not only have I changed my opinion, the world changed, the world has changed, right? I think the way we view fat in general has changed dramatically. And at the time, I would say when I did start my practice, um, there were many people that weren't, I was probably, like I said, I always used to say fat or still say fat is your friend, but I was saying that right from the beginning, but I was probably saying healthy monounsaturated fats right. are your friend. I wasn't saying, and there's even room for some of these saturated fats and myristic acid and all of this. I wasn't getting into that at the time. But that is, that's just an, I guess that's just an example when you ask, you know, how things changed. Back, I would say in the times that we're talking about earlier 2000s, it was a lot of nutritionism, which is that there's one specific nutrient that influences all other aspects of health. And I think the belief in dietitians, even when I was in school, you know, was that like the dietitians are the only nutrition experts and we hung our hats a lot on nutrition science is pretty solid. And it's also um, the, probably the most important thing in the world. And we were going up against 
you know, at the time, and this was talked about in school, like nutrition science is solid. It's verified. And the more that I learned about nutrition, I'm like, oh my God, this is really subjective. Like it really changes from person to person. And there are some things that I think we've kind of come back to our roots of scientific understanding, like all the way back to traditional medicine, which is just that like real food is always better than not real food. Like these very simple truths that were not apparent to us. Um, we thought if we can modify something, we can kind of be like super extra um, able or um, capable. But now we're realizing that the closer we get to whole, the better off we probably are, which seems so simple and obvious now. But at the time, we thought the kind of newer and more cutting edge stuff was probably better. And that was the, the science that we were uncovering. Why, why do you think it takes so long for nutrition to kind of catch up? as a field and and why do you think it took us so long to catch up to these very obvious things that we now know which is that like eating real whole foods is going to do better things biologically in your body than highly processed ones yeah that's a really really good question and it's it's so interesting you know when i look back on that time it was mostly you know diet and exercise diet and exercise and that was the focus and as you know i didn't want to start I didn't want to start my practice that way. And again, part of that goes back to that experience in college. And I'm kind of going again on a tangent here and I'm going to get to what Please. I'm going to get. Remind me of this go. question if I go off too far, but it's reminding yep. me of, so when go I, when I started, my, when I started yep. my practice, you know, I had said, and, and I think you probably, I maybe even showed you that that first logo from my business had a little apple for food, but with a little arrow to a bed for sleep, with a little arrow to a drop of water for hydration, with a little arrow to a brain for stress and so on, because I didn't want to just talk about diet and exercise. I knew that what I now call all these other pillars of nutritious life affected each other behaviorally and physiologically, and they all work together. And you couldn't just put some on a diet and not address those other things because yeah, maybe it would work for a couple people and maybe it would work for a couple people for a very short period of time, but it wouldn't work for the long term. It wouldn't be as effective. It wouldn't help their overall health as much. And you absolutely weren't going to be able to help as many people and it wouldn't be as enjoyable, right? It would be, it was more about deprivation. So in terms of the, what you just asked, like, why was it like that and how has it changed? You know, I, I think the first, if I'm remembering correctly, and you might know the answer to this, I think the first diet book was written in 1588 or so, something like that. Like the 15, right? It wasn't the 1600s. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the, I'm pretty sure that's when the first, when the first diet book was written. And so people have been talking about dieting. And then I think it was the 1600s when it was more focused actually on like weight loss. And then, I mean, you know, you've looked at those ads probably yeah, from of course. Hundred, I mean, yeah. hundreds, of, you know, years and years and years ago. Right. And so people have been, I mean, and there's even ads when you go back, I looked at some ad and this must've been from, maybe it was the, I don't know if it was the seventies or the eighties, but it was flat out girls don't eat. If you want to like reduce your mm -hmm. eating, if you mm -hmm. want to you know, go on the beach this summer. I mean, it's some line that it's almost exactly that. It's really, it's crazy when you, when you think about what that, what ads used to be. And so why, ha how has it changed so much? I mean, I think one, um, we didn't have as much science. We didn't have as much information, right? So I think when you looked at when they, when certain, when, when, people did certain things, quick fix type things, and they lost weight, 
people still want, even back then, like people wanted that quick fix. They didn't look at the big picture of, well, what was going to happen later on? What's going to be the the long-term health consequences, right? So there wasn't as much information. And when people saw quick fixes, I think that people jumped on that and then, and, and companies jumped on that. And it just, it got into our culture. And then I think we woke up because we saw how quick fixes, fad diets don't work and how it leads to not only gaining more weight back, but it leads to really unhealthy outcomes and long-term horrible conditions. And so I think that that's part of it. I also think that there's just an overall greater interest in health right now. And we can, whether that's a trend, I mean, everybody always wants to be healthy, right? But I think there is this greater interest right now in health and wellness. It's having a moment. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I think it's just that as we get smarter and learn more and there's more research and there's we've more years of experience of seeing what actually works in the long term, we're in a somewhat better position. But that's not to say, I mean, as you know, things are clearly not perfect right now. No, there's and new beds. There's, there's new diet camps every single day. I think also we've reached an inflection point where now the majority of people are sick. And that was yeah. absolutely not the case 20 years ago. It just wasn't the case 20 years ago. Um, yes, so I think correct. We, uh, many people are seeking answers for these things and have realized that not only have the past kind of nutrition answers not supported them, but could have actually dysregulated them even more. Absolutely. And that's such a great point. And that's why I think also with people being sicker, right, with with our world being a sicker place, people are looking for answers that aren't just about the way they look. They're looking for answers to feel better and to live longer and totally. to live longer with a better quality of life. One of my cutest, longest term clients who's we've been working together five years. Yesterday, she said to me, she said, I'm not doing chronic illness anymore. I'm doing longevity now. She's like, I have chronic illnesses. They're in my body. I get it. But my focus is actually longevity now. And I'm like, I love that. And I think longevity has become a trend. And I love that. I actually think it's a great trend and it's a hopeful trend. So to also kind of say, oh, I'm, you know, I, anytime I talk about the fact that there's like millions of people who are suffering from chronic illness, I get very down, but then to flip us in that very positive direction too, how confident are you now, Carrie, in the eight pillars of health that we're going to talk about and in the direction we're going in? Like, do you feel more confident now than ever that we can, that people can turn their own health around when they focus on their holistic health? So I do. And I'm also concerned about some things. So I'll say okay, that. Tell me, tell I me do, both. I do yep. feel extremely confident that people are more aware about how their overall lifestyle, their, their relationships, their past trauma, their stress, like how all of these things affect their health. And I'm really confident that they're not only aware of it, but pe- more and more people are putting the work into practice to improve those areas of their life. And like I said, when I talked about, you know, I, I, I described the first logo of my business, you know, people used to look at me like I had four heads. They would come in and they'd say, aren't you a dietitian? Aren't you just going to give me a meal plan? Stay in your lane, Carrie Glass. Exactly. Okay. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to give you a meal plan until you work on your stress because it's not going to do anything unless you exactly. work on your stress. Right. And it's going to be yep. easier to follow when you 
manage your stress. So I am, and that's another thing that actually has changed going back to one of your initial questions from 20 years ago is that there is a much greater, you know, um, I'd say interest and people are embracing all of these different, you know, again, what I call these pillars, people are embracing them. People are interested in it. People know now, you know, even if they just know a, a little bit, they know that sleep is important. They know that managing stress is important. So that I think is a huge shift as well. And that I'm really excited about. And that I'm super confident in that people are going to be able to improve their, not only their weight, but their long-term health by incorporating, you know, habit changes here. So that is incredible. And I am really confident about that. And that makes me very happy. The thing that's concerning to me is that our world right now is still is set up in a way that really goes against those pillars, even more so than they did 20 years ago and 40 years ago. So people are more aware of the pillars people are are more embracing of them there are lots and lots of tools from apps to trackers like we're going to talk about um there's more coaches out there there's lots of tools out there but what what worries me is that we know burnout is a, is a huge thing right now and a lot of that is because of just people are going 24 hours a day you've got a phone you can be on you can be on call for work 24 hours a day there's burnout culture. People are, you know, sicker than ever, like you said. Um, I think that our, our food system is getting worse and worse. <laughs> there are better options for packaged foods. And I mean, we're all going to eat a certain amount of processed. We all have to have a certain amount of processed foods, right? It's the ultra processed foods we have to worry about, but the, um, and obviously reduce even processed foods, but our food system is a disaster right now. That's right. And, and so, you know, compared to what it was, you know, again, 20, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it's a lot worse. So even all of the, you know, all of the toxins in our environment, the obesogens. So we're kind of, we're fighting, even when we're, even when we're managing our stress and all that, there's more obesogens, there's more toxins, there's more, you know, our food isn't as good quality. So there's things we're fighting against. We're fighting against working, you know, we're fighting against blue light on our phones. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that we're fighting against now that we didn't years ago, even though we have more tools and there's more awareness. So that's the concerning part to me. I love, I just love how you're, framing this too. And this conversation I always had with my parents when I was younger and like a lot of my friends have like some level of chronic illness and, you know, a lot of people my age have some level of chronic illness. And mm -hmm. my parents would always say like, I don't get it. Like, why are, why is everyone your age like sick? Are they like complaining more? Like, are they, right. you know, are they less resilient? And I'm like, no, we're like the most resilient group of people you'll ever meet because they're the, the barriers to being healthy are so much grander that, you know, my dad always said to me, he's like, I, I like ate like, you know, 15 bags of potato chips when I was a kid. And like, you know, I was fine basically. And not in a judgmental way, but I was like, yeah, because that one bag of potato chips then versus one bag of potato chips. Now I don't care. I'm not even talking about the portions. I'm not talking about anything like that. Yeah. It's literally completely different chemicals and completely different food. So we grew Absolutely. up eating food that was we basically were in a major experiment in the past 20 or so years to see like how, what happens to the human body when you throw toxic chemicals into every single component of food. And Everything. we're kind of like, we failed the experiment. I mean, we won the experiment because we, whatever could have happened happened. Um, so we are dealing with now, and this is not to scare people, but to say how very real yeah. um, these 
components of food are, yeah. but it is like you're saying for you to be healthy now, you got to fight a little bit harder. And that's really yeah. hard because um, hard. financially, it's one of the hardest times we've ever had in the entire yeah. world. Stress wise, it's one of the hardest times. And then just like you said, even the blue light from our phone, like even yeah. those little things, the environment we're living in environmental toxins is not right. really conducive for health. So you almost have to be a little bit weird and a little bit of a freak which is my, you know, my type of people anyway. I'm, I'm here for the freaks. It's not even a question. Totally. Um, but like, I think you have to be a little bit of a freak to stay or get healthy right now. And, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean you have to be hyper vigilant, but it means you have to do things in a way that is not really of the system. A- absolutely. It's in, and you know, it, you brought up, um, when you brought up environment toxins too, I was thinking even, you know, our water system and even having, you know, I don't know if you have, but I have a, uh, uh, filter yeah. in my shower because it's like, and I was talking about with the, with a friend and she said, wait, now I have to worry about the water filter in my shower. I said, you don't have to worry, but there are things you can do and think about it. If there's toxins, if there's things that you don't want to drink, you don't want them going on your skin either. Right. So it just makes sense. You don't have to get scared about it, but there's things you can do. But again, you brought up like, you know, you have to almost be a little bit of a freak and it kind of, that also makes me think about something that which is another, another thing that's, I would say not another thing, but something that is bothering me a little bit in the world of nutrition and social media right now. And I think we've had this conversation, but I, I don't love how now simply being healthy is looked at as, oh, you're promoting diet culture, right? Like, like, like doing things that make you feel good and you know, will, you know, increase your longevity and prevent disease and not doing it to a point of sacrificing, you know, going out in public or eating in a restaurant or, you know, making you stressed, but doing these little things, there's this, there's this sort of op- opposition out there in, in the world of social media from, and, and many RDs too, they're like, many that are- is diet culture. That is, you don't have to do that. That is just promoting diet culture and all that. I'm like, no, it's not eating healthy is not promoting diet culture. Eating healthy is promoting being healthy is what we should all be doing. But it's almost, I mean, and again, that's sort of almost like minimizing what I'm trying to say, but I, I know you're with me here and it's real, oh, but it really yeah. bothers me in, in our social media sphere. It, um, is the premise of the quiet, the diet podcast. Uh, it bothers me so much. I made a damn podcast yeah. about it. So yes, it is definitely to, if people are experiencing chronic illness, the likelihood that they can access food freedom as a priority or eat whatever they want to, um, not really eat whatever they want, eat even intuitively as their first line of defense for their health, the likelihood of that's very low. They're probably going to have to prioritize some pretty radical life or health solutions if they want radical changes in their symptoms. And again, I'm talking about a person who might be having diarrhea 25 times a day. Um, right. Food freedom might not be a priority if they can't go to work. Um, and I think that, like you said, there's been this very rational knee-jerk reaction to diet culture, which you and I both are so so adamantly against we're with you know we're down with it we completely understand yes and we agree and that is a huge part of both of our messages and has always been a huge part of your message for 24 years has been a part of your message as much as was societally appropriate like everyone still has to live and exist in society and that's a rational part of the conference and the science we have available but when it goes kind of to the next extreme is when i think people really 
don't feel like we do that you have to be a freak. When they say being a freak is an eating disorder, when we start categorizing every healthy action as eating disorder, to me, that just shows that there's a dysregulation in their nervous system, a dysregulation Mm -hmm. in their perception of threat in their environment, because it shouldn't feel threatening to see someone else drinking lemon water to help, you know, boost up their stomach acid a little bit and help digestion. If someone feels threatened by someone else doing something healthy, that has more to do with their nervous system and their safety cues. Wow. So beautifully said. I love that. And, and even, think- and even just, even just, you know, sometimes I, I see people react to things where someone's showing a salad for lunch and they're just showing a delicious salad with loads of vegetables. And there's a comment that's something like you should have, you know, you're telling people that they can't have starches. No, I'm just eating greens because I want to get greens and because I like them. And guess what? They're also good for me and I feel good doing it. Right. And I'm not even, and I'm not even that the I there wasn't even, I'm not even saying me. I'm not even saying people comment like that so much to me. I see it though out there on different people's, Oh, hundred percent, you know, and then, social. And it's, it's, it's just a, like you said, it's a reaction that's not helping anyone. No, it's their, it's their, saying this is my gut reaction to this but your gut reaction to something has much more to do with you than it does for other people and you said the next most important point which is when we're putting out nutrition information my question always is who is this helping who does it yes. help to say you're so drinking good like that. lemon water is diet culture like who does right. that help and i've seen even things like "Ooh, if you use castor oil that's diet culture i'm like listen castor oil has been used for thousands of years for many different medicinal properties. And then it also gets into the category of, you know, which is very, I feel that it can be extremely narrow minded and extremely Western to view things as only what you recognize. Right. So if I recognize this, it is safe. If I do not recognize this, it is in a Uh. bucket of unsafe sesh diet culture. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I love what you're saying right here because as I was thinking about doing this podcast with you today and I was thinking about, you know, one thing you mentioned was to think a little bit about, you know, where, where do you want, where did, where was nutrition when you started? Where do you want, where do you want to see the world of nutrition going? And one thing I was thinking about was I want to see it going in a place where we're all a little more open-minded because yes, I am research-based you are research-based. We love the science. We love the evidence. But there are so many things out there that just haven't been maybe researched in the same way as something else because it hasn't been funded, right? But they're not harmful. They're probably really helpful. They've been practiced for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And if it's not harmful and it works for someone just because there isn't this perfect randomized controlled trial on it does not mean that there isn't perhaps a time and place. And I am someone that loves a good RCT. (laughs) We do. I love the research. I love it. And we're going to use that research, but there's times and places for things. And that's where I think, again, there are many dietitians out there too, that love to squash something like that has not been proven. And it's like, okay, yeah, but it's worked for thousands of years. It's not hurtful. And if, and again, it might not be right for some people, but there are many people that it may be right for. So there has to be this just open-mindedness. And I always say like in nutritious life, we're evidence-based, we're research, right? We we love that research, but we always keep an open mind for possibilities. 
And we had an episode in season one with Dr. Buzwadi Bhattacharya, who's a, a medical doctor and also an Ayurvedic um, professional. And she she's also she's also a pharmacologist. She's just like one of the most amazing people in the entire world. And what she said was the rigor of science is actually higher in Ayurveda. So basically you need to not just prove something in a lab one time. You need to prove it millions of times over thousands of years. And it needs to be verified. And the scientific methods that they use are actually with much higher validity and rigor um, than the ones we use here. So it's, it's like you're saying, the narrow mindedness is that if I don't have an RCT, which is our country's view of yes. what is valid, then it is not valid. And the other really important piece of what you said is that if it's low risk, why not? Right? Low risk, low cost, possibly yes. effective. What's the worst that happens? You drink some lemon water and you're, and you don't feel better. I think that the most dangerous thing we can do in the nutrition world is eliminate hope from people. And when you say to people, don't try anything because it's not proven, you're narrowing their toolbox. You're narrowing their the ability to believe there's possibility, which is what's going to bring us also into this eight pillars of health conversation. I love so much that you have and utilize this in Nutritious Life because it lets people know food is one incredibly important pillar of health. But if you can't make those food changes, there's a million other places you can look to help with oh. your health and it all can come together. Absolutely. And I often don't start there with people. Same. I would often say, well, I'm not, we're not even going to talk about food. We're not even going to change one thing in your diet until we manage your stress. We're going to give you a few tips for stress this week and a few tips for improving your sleep. And I said, and we're going to just work on those couple things. And then I, and I often say to people from there, not only are you probably going to start metabolizing your food better? Not only are you going to probably start feeling better, but then there's also going to be that your actual, your behavior will start to change and you'll probably want to eat better. But you're actually, even if you didn't change, even if you didn't do that part yet, the first part is physiologically, your body's starting to change and you will be metabolizing your food even better. So let's just start with those two things. And by starting with those and feeling better before someone even tries to, change their diet. First of all, you take away the whole thing that like they, the whole attitude of I have to go on a diet or I've got to follow something right now. You've stripped that away. So there's this really huge empowerment that happens. And there's this like natural subconscious motivation that happens because someone starts to feel better. And then you get into the, and I, and I love getting into all this, you get into the science of, well, wait, why, why is that happening? Why, when I, when I, now I actually drink my water and I've got some, you know, minerals and electrolytes in there and I feel better. I'm more energetic in the afternoon. And you explain, you know, the why. And then all of a sudden, like they're like, well, why is my, why do I feel just better though? A little calmer. Well, when you were not, when you weren't dehydrated, guess what? Your cortisol, your stress hormone was going up and that, and just from being not properly hydrated. And when you're not properly hydrated, something as simple that people think of as so simple. They hear, drink your eight cups of water a day. And it's like in one ear, out the other. And they, and so it's kind of, it doesn't really mean that much to them, but when you can explain what is actually going on when you're properly hydrated, and I'm just using this pillar as an example, and you explain how, no, you're actually affecting your, your stress hormone. And that's just one thing that's affected, but you're affecting your stress hormone. And guess what? You're at greater risk for depression, depression from not being properly hydrated. And you get into that and it's, it's, it's powerful for people, but it's, it's again, also, like you said, and I love how you put it that way, it's so hopeful. 
totally. it's hopeful because there's so many other things you can address if you just can't address the food. And I say there's many times when don't even worry about your food, focus on these other pillars and you can get to the food next, but you're keeping yourself in a good rhythm. You're keeping yourself consistent just by maybe it's taking those supplements consistently, staying properly hydrated, doing a meditation each morning and focusing on your sleep. You might be healthier than you ever were when you were on some crazy restrictive diet, even if it was a healthy, even if you're eating healthy foods. Totally. I think when people think about motivation, they think I need to get willpower or I need to force myself to want to do something. But the real way to motivate yourself is to feel good enough to allow your body to tell you it's ready for something. So I'll often see this, and I know you do carry and have with all of your clients and your staff's clients that, you know, I'll have a client who will say like, I really don't want to talk about food. I'm, I'm triggered by it. I'm not ready to talk about it. Great. Okay. It's off the table for now. Then we'll focus on some other things. Like you said, maybe sleep, maybe stress. And then three weeks later, they'll come to me and be like, can we actually talk about food now? Yes. Yes. Your body will tell you when it's ready. You can't really force your brain to be motivated or ready to do something. But what you can do is consistently respect your body. And then your body kind of naturally gets to that point where it's ready. So I think the action is in like the small things you can do not enforcing yourself to do something because it's just super ineffective. Like it just doesn't really work. And your body also like knows when the jig is up and knows when you're going to do something. Like there's actually, and I I wish I knew the the study, but I'll, I'll post it in the show notes actually, where they found that people who thought they were going on a more restrictive diet Mm-hmm. actually metabolized the calories differently and had different cravings as a result, eating the same foods as a controlled group. So again, if you're telling your body, I'm going to slam you into the ground and I'm going to torment you, mm-hmm. it will create some some serious biological differences. The versus oh, yeah. saying, let's do these tiny things that'll make us feel better. Or sometimes just doing things and you're not sure how it's going to make you feel, but you know it's mm-hmm. good, kind of. Just do them and then see what the result is yourself. Well, it, it's that your your body's listening to your mind, right? Your body's listening. So that that study that you just brought up is exactly that. Your body's going to listen, and so that's also why when I talk about you know the food pillar, the food pillar of nutritious life is eat empowered, because when you eat from a place of willpower, which is, I mean, you know how I feel about willpower, and I've written so much on this. Oh, I yeah. am not a fan of willpower. All it does is it's negative energy. It increases your stress levels. It, I mean, there are so many reasons willpower. It, you just have this wrestling match in your head. It's just, it's a terrible mindset, like trying to use willpower. So, you know, I am not a fan of willpower, oh. but eating empowered is the exact opposite of willpower. And it's really shifting that mindset to naturally want to put good foods in your body, but it could be for any of the pillars, right? So when you, when you eat from a place of, I, I can't wait to enjoy those blueberries. And I know they're good for my skin and I love the taste of them. Like when you just eat from that place of they're good for me and they're good for my, and again, I might be like geeking out a little bit here and exaggerating the point, but you know what I'm saying? When they're good for my brain, I'm actually doing something good for my cognition and focus. And guess what? A byproduct might be weight loss, but I want those. I can't wait to put them into my body and feel good. Like when you can change that. And I always tell people that does not happen overnight. And for someone that is, you know, in a very, you know, real starting place, I'm not, you're not going to feel that way right away. And I don't expect people to just flip that switch in one second. It's not like that. It's like, you got to like move that switch a little, you know, it takes a while to get there. It's not just like a boom, but, but when you get there and you start doing it and you do it a little by little and you get over 
that hump, that's not to say that you're never just going to, you know, crave the whatever else, the chocolate chip cookie. However, um, you do end up, like you said, your body gets there on its own. It, it is doing these things because it wants to, and it's ready. And it's not coming from a place of willpower. It's coming from a place of empowerment. And you could even start off by saying, I'm going to eat these stupid blueberries every stupid day. And, you know, fine, I'm going to eat them. And then it might turn into, I need and want my daily blueberries. But you can start by saying, I'm going to eat these stupid blueberries. I don't even know why I'm eating these stupid blueberries, whatever, I'll eat them. And then it could turn into and transform as every single day, your body learns the safety of that ritual, what your body can receive from that ritual. So I think that just creating those habits, which are really really easier said than done because again, we can feel so dysregulated, new things can feel scary. You know, there's a million reasons why someone might not feel ready to make changes, but the tiniest changes that you're not even a hundred percent sure why they're good for you. You just know education wise, all right, these are good for you. And we have like a, you know, a, a viewpoint of thinking of things, which is there's, there's two things necessary for change. Either you need to feel bad enough or you need to have enough education. So either you can go either direction, either you can let yourself feel so bad that you're like, I'm desperate and I will do anything. And that's when you start going on, you know, WebMD, Reddit, all these places and searching for answers. Like, why do I feel weird every day at 6am? You know, whatever that, that moment is for you. And that's what empowers people. Or you can just learn and then experiment and see if certain things make you feel better or don't. And really that takes a lot of inventorying and a lot of checking in with yourself to see is this working? Why is this so hard? Is this getting easier to do like any of those eight pillars? So also Carrie, just run us through the eight pillars, by the way, because now I have sleep, stress, nutrition, and hydration. Yep. So we have um, drink up, eat empowered, live consciously, which is not only your world and, you know, your actual world, like keeping your refrigerator organized, for example, has benefits. Your desk area has been organized, has benefits, but also the world at large and those environmental toxins, like we talked about, love more, which is the relationship and Mm. community pillar, nurturing yourself, um, which is really that self-care pillar, sleep deep, stress less and sweat often. So those are the pillars. Um, and you know, one thing I just want to go back to one thing you said about the, uh, you mentioned lemon water a couple of times and it made me think, and then just with what you were just talking about, it made me think like something like that. Even I always talk about having that glass of water with lemon in the morning is there's a psychological benefit of just it. You're saying to yourself, I'm going to have a healthy day today. It's like, there's this, like, I'm having a healthy day. I'm doing something good for me. And sometimes that's just a place to start with someone. That's it. That's the one, that's the one change. That's the one thing someone can do. So what you were just talking about just reminded me of that. I wanted to mention that. I love that so much. And it's what you're saying even deeper than that is that the actions you take are important, but the way that those actions communicate with you is also really important. So just saying, you know what, I'm drinking this lemon water. Maybe the, the acid in the lemon water isn't enough to heal all of your digestion, which I'm sure it's not. But just saying, hey, I'm taking care of you today, stomach. I'm yes. taking care of you and I'm giving you some fighting juice to be able to break things down today. That in and of itself can actually help your body to release more stomach acid. So because our yes. vagus nerve is such a direct line of communication between our brain and our gut, what we're doing and the actions we're taking are just as important. And let's re- let's pull in that other piece of the conversation we had before too. The difference between saying, I'm not going to drink lemon water because it's not scientifically proven versus let me grab a cup of lemon water and just take this and see if it helps me a little bit. 
you you can feel the difference in that type of communication with your body. Even just yeah. me saying it, I my stomach did not like the first one. I'll tell you that. And even on and even in a, on another level, it's again, it's just that it's that even on a, that subconscious level of the oh, I have my lemon water, and then you go to work, and instead of picking up the bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll from the deli, that same person might decide to scramble eggs really quickly before they leave for work, right? So there's even there's so I mean, and and you know this, but there's so many different behaviors that come from just initiating one or two. And again, they might come from a physiological place. They might come from a behavioral place, but they, they happen. And, you know, being really kind to yourself throughout that process and letting it happen and knowing, and also working with a good, right. Working with someone who, who like, and I know you do such an incredible job with your clients, but I imagine that you know where to start with them. You're not going to bring up the, you know, eating empowered side of it when someone's really not ready to make changes there. You're going to start with one change that you think will be the easiest and the, the just the easiest to grasp hold of for someone. And that's a really important thing too. Absolutely. And my, I had a client who the initial package they did was like a three month plan and we were on month three of the three month plan. And they said lovingly, Hey, Michelle, do you think we could start talking about food now? I'm like, <laughs> all right, fine. You have a session left in your package. You can talk about it. But of course, if someone is eager to talk about food, it's, it's yes. their choice. Um, but it just so happens that to understand our nutrition habits, we have to understand the playing field and the environment with which the food's going in first, before I know what's going to work with someone's body they have to know what works with their body and they also have to know what's going on. The food doesn't just get thrown in and then poof, it goes away. There's like a hundred different processes that happen along the way. So I'm going to want to know organ-wide what's happening during that time. Yeah, and food absolutely. can feel like, you know, so emotional for people. It's it's often one of the least safe places to start um, on a nutrition journey, funny enough. Totally agree. Yeah. It's, I know this is very ingrained in the work that you do. So Carrie, would you say your recommendations for people, let's say they don't even want to work with a practitioner, they're just yeah. listening from home, would be to maybe start with just one or two of those things, even outside of the nutrition pillar, if they don't feel safe? 100%. I mean, and it could even start with organizing your closet. I mean, literally, it could start with clean out your closet. There, for most people, some people like to be organized more than others, but there's going to be this um, feeling of accomplishment. There's going to be, a, a, you're going to feel a little bit lighter, even mentally, less distracted. You might lower your stress levels when you go to open, you know, to go into your closet in the morning and to get dressed. And that sounds like a really silly, ridiculous one I'm throwing out there, but I'm purposely putting something out there that no, is real. so, yeah. that is so you know, far from the nutrition side of things, because even sometimes starting there, if you're feeling chaotic and you're feeling super stressed and you're feeling out of control with your food, sometimes just trying to say, okay, I'm going to eat my three eggs every single morning and have my kale salad with salmon every day. Like, but you're, it takes you longer to get dressed in the morning and you feel scattered and you feel stressed and you're anxious and what, like, you're not going to end up doing that. So by putting a few things into place that can calm your environment, that's that, you know, that's your, in the live consciously pillar. 
if you do that, that might be the first step for you. You can go really slow. And then it might be getting yourself a 32 ounce water bottle and filling it twice, perhaps adding those, you know, some electrolytes, but getting in, getting, you know, in that hydration to start. If you're not drinking any water, maybe you're drinking diet soda and you swap the diet soda for the for water and you don't even get to the 64 ounces, which by the way, the 64 ounce thing is a myth. I just feel like I have to say that for listeners. I know you know that, but it is a place to start for many people. And it is a good goal for many people. Many people need a little more and many people need less. You need, you also need proper electrolyte balance to even be properly hydrated, but it is a place to start for people. So I just wanted to say that, but maybe you do that next and then perhaps, or perhaps you start with the meditation. And that just starts your whole day a little bit calmer. You then start to make better choices. So there's a, there's many things you can do before you dive into food. And oftentimes getting a few of those other ducks in a row and you don't have to perfect them. None of your pillars will be perfect, but getting a few of those pillars or poor ducks <laughs> in a row to begin with will improve just your ability to be consistent as consistent as possible. Again, you never have to be perfect with any of them when you do attack the food pillar. And we know also that chemically solving one problem, A, leaves space open in your brain, but also gives you confidence to tackle other problems. So this has been proven time and time again that if you're able to accomplish something, even if it's the tiniest thing, you can mark something off a checklist, it leaves you open to be able to do more things. This is so interesting. I've never spoken about this on a podcast, but I find that for my clients, one of the most important things that we do to help subconsciously improve their health is just cleaning out their fridge. When you have so much stuff in your fridge that you're not eating, like I I speak to this a little bit too, but I, I know for my clients, like just cleaning out your fridge and only having the food there that you want. And it doesn't have to be only the healthiest food, food that you're actually going to eat. Yes. The clutter of that, and it seems like, again, yes. the, the action and intention behind it matters as much as the action itself. But every single time you open that fridge, your food's right there. It's just like when you have a cluttered fridge, it, it really leaves you with so many tabs open on that computer and also so much dissatisfaction of all the foods you should be eating that you actually don't want to eat. Oh, absolutely. And and I've talked about this a lot, how you know if you have if you go to the store and you let's say you buy that red pepper and it's in that green bag and it's shoved in the back and you open up your fridge and you see, you know, some leftover Chinese food and you see maybe a slice, an old slice of pizza, or you see half of a sandwich leftover or something and you see all these other things and it's cluttered and whatever, you're not going for that pepper. And guess what? A few days later, it'll probably be slimy in there. But if you've cleaned out all the other stuff and you have that and you take the 30 seconds to, or less than a minute, let's say, I'll give you a minute to slice the pepper. You take a minute to slice the pepper and you put it in a nice glass jar in your fridge. You open it up and it's like literally, I always say you open that fridge and it's like the birds are chirping. (laughs) You hear the birds chirping like, ah, (laughs) you know, and you, and you want to grab, you want to grab that red pepper and then you feel good doing that, right? It all goes like, so I'm totally with you there with the fridge. I love a good fridge clean out every once in a while and starting from scratch. The kind of opposite of setting of willpower is really setting up your environment for success. Mm -hmm. And you're not Mm -hmm. only setting up your environment, you're setting up your brain. And that's what's so important about all these things. Like, how are you helping your brain to help you? We can't force our brains to do stuff. We can pave the way for our brains to be clear enough and safe enough 
to let us engage in these activities. We're not smarter than our brains. We can't over willpower right. our brains. But of creating course. space, I think, and, and clarity is just so essential for all of the eight pillars. Oh, absolutely. And because, right, of course. So even if you open up that fridge and you're craving that leftover pizza, even if it's there, but you also have those peppers already cut up, guess what? You'll probably end up still going for those peppers. And once in a while, you might go for that pizza that's still there. And that's okay too. But you're setting yourself up for success. Like you just said, you're really, and, and you've got to do, you've got to do it all. You have to give yourself a fighting chance. You're not going to give yourself the chance to make those choices and to make those choices so much easier right? And to do it from a place of not willpower, right? But from a place of feeling good, you have to set yourself up for success. Like you, like you just said, I, I love that. And really just eliminating that, like you said, the decision fatigue for yourself, because I think yes, that's what that so many people struggle with is, okay, Carrie, Michelle, you're giving me eight pillars of health that I have to focus on. Not at all. Pick one or two tiny things from each and then ask yourself, why am I not able to execute on this? So if it is, I'm going to eat a healthy breakfast every day. Great. But you open your fridge and you get a nauseated feeling because also Mm -hmm. if there's like old food in there, you're not going to want it. Whatever is most convenient for our brains, we're most likely going to pick. So if it's like, I always think of like from an evolutionary biology perspective, because my head's always in the evolutionary biology gutter. Like if there was a tiny bunny <laughs> rabbit in front of I mean, of whose isn't, right? Exactly. <laughs> isn't like, your brain in the evolutionary biology gutter too? <laughs> Listener? Like classic, right? Classic. Exactly. That's not a real sentence that I said. And I know that. I know that. No, I love that. That's exactly. what makes you, that's what makes you amazing, Michelle. And I love it. I am here for it all. Who You're like, who amongst us has not had their head in the evolutionary biology gutter? <laughs> Who amongst us doesn't have a clean fridge and has their head in evolutionary? But I think about if we, you know, as our ancestors very well may have, if there was a tiny bunny rabbit in front of us or there was a lion 10 miles away, which one are we going to eat? You're just going to eat what's convenient, easy for you to catch. That's how our brains work. And because like we talked about in the beginning of this conversation to pull us all together, the systems at play when it comes to our food system, when it comes to our lifestyles, especially in America and especially in New York, are not here for our health. They're here for nope. someone else's capital benefit and their bottom line, right? Yeah, So absolutely. if we do not organize our environment in a way that is supportive and easy for us, the baseline that we're going to go into is illness. And, and that's the truth. And I, the hopeful message is something as silly as cleaning out your fridge. And even if the food is fresh, donate it. Then you're creating community. You're hitting two pillars. Every single action you take, you could be targeting more than one pillar too. Just find actions, I think is the message that you're sending. And I also like what you just said is, you know, something as simple as cleaning out your fridge. You don't have to necessarily spend a lot of money. You don't have to you know, sometimes I think that people think, oh, if I do all of these things, I have to go get a lymphatic drainage massage and I have to get do this and I have to buy, you know, do this. And you don't have to do all of those things in order to make a great impact in each of these pillars. You, Like you said, just cleaning out your fridge could be the thing that you do in the live consciously pillar. Just doing, you know, doing breath work could be what you do for your stress less pillar. None of these things have to cost anything or take a lot of time. They don't have to be they don't have to be financially inaccessible and they don't have to be time intensive either. And that's not to say, I, I don't want to say that, I mean, there are many things out there, many wellness things and many wellness things that I love we that love. are, that do take, right. That we love that, that do, that are more expensive and aren't necessarily accessible. Right. And, and so I do want to acknowledge that I'm not saying that every single thing is equally accessible, but, but 
there are many things for each of these pillars that are very accessible time and money wise. There's, you know, two pieces of the financially inaccessible for many and very fun things that I want to talk about. One is that something we bond about all the time is our aura rings and not like this is not an ad for aura. Um, but I, it's so interesting because for me, seeing how much sleep I get does not make me feel better or worse during the day. It just makes me feel connected to my body whereby many people, because this is, this is a wearable ring that lets you know, it's much like a fit, those old Fitbit watches, they have rings now, but also lets you know your body temperature and all those things. For many people, I think it can be triggering and unhelpful to, to have something like that and these wearables. But I think for me, it just gives me solace that my body gets to tell me something that I, I, can see visually and another and actually our sponsor for this episode is very which is an um a cgm a continuous glucose monitor which again you know you can do things as simple as let me take action towards my carbohydrate intake and eating more whole unprocessed carbs or if you want to just start somewhere just see how different to see internally how different foods affect you you can go as high up as you know one of these trackers um or you can go as low as just watching how you feel after you eat carbohydrates, but you know, you can, you can get really specific and have a lot of fun and that's not an eating disorder either. It's fun. Like have fun. Yeah. I love it. it. Well, not only, not only can it be really fun for people, but it's also for the right person. It's super empowering. Yep. It's super empowering. And if you can do it and you do have access to that, there are many tools out there that are not only, not only educational, they're empowering and they're like you said, they're fun and they're really useful for people. Absolutely. So it's also knowing, you know, who, who you are. If you're working with people, it's knowing who your who the client is that you're working with and what might work for them. Right. And it's funny that you said that about the aura ring. So yeah, I know people certainly that the aura ring is very triggering to them. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know. It makes them more stressed, right? Many people. I personally, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love tracking my sleep. Sleep is probably the worst, my worst pillar of nutritious life. I've always had a tough time with it, especially over the past one to two years. It's really gotten worse for me, which I think is that perimenopause stage of life um, has been affecting me too, which is a whole other conversation. So I've really, I really, um, about a year ago, I said, I am going to really go hard on this pillar and really focus in on it and work on it. And so that's, that's when I think it was about a year ago when I, when I got my aura ring, finally made the investment in my aura ring. But you know what I found? It's funny how you said you, it makes you feel connected to your body. What I feel about it for me is I would, I wake up in the middle of the night a lot, many, many different times. And I've gotten better with that as I've pushed off having my caffeine in the morning, but I do wake up in the middle of the night a lot. And I would often wake up in the mornings up so much last night. I feel terrible because I knew I was up a lot. And I'd say, so I'd say to myself, you know, I feel, I feel so crappy today. I'm so tired. And it was like this, like even, I I don't even know how I actually felt, but because I knew I was up, I would feel worse. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I love about my aura ring is that I realized I would look and I'd say, Oh yeah, I was up at one 30 and then I was up at three 30 and I was up at four 15, but my total sleep and my total deep sleep, I still got a 93 for the night, or I got an 87 for the night or, and I still got adequate amount. I still had seven hours and 20 minutes of sleep. So I think that actually made me feel not only makes me feel good, but then what I noticed was when I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I would be more relaxed and not stressed 
about falling back asleep because I know it's okay if I'm up. I'm still going to end up with a with an overall good score. So it almost like reduced the anxiety that's in the middle of the night when I woke up about I got to go back to sleep. So that that was my that's just again that's my personal experience. I've had many clients have also lots of good experiences with it. And then again, also people that find it triggering. You have to know yourself and you have to know like what works for you, what doesn't work for you. It's kind of like the scale, right? For some people, it's great. For some people, it's it's a terrible tool. It's And this is the same for any nutrition tool. Same exact thing for, CG, for continuous glucose monitors too. Like I, it's so interesting. Like I can eat something like gluten-free bread and it will have no impact on my blood sugar, but I eat a bunch of blueberries and it does. Like it really yeah. depends on the person. Everyone metabolizes things totally differently. So for me, it gives yeah. me that feedback. But once I, I remember this at one point, I said to myself, like, if you get to the point where you don't want to eat blueberries, take the sensor off. But when you go into it and you say, this is data, this is feedback, and it's critical data and feedback, I think that these tools can be used really well and incorporated again within that eight pillar model. So just knowing what you need and what tool you need and how you react to these tools is so important. Absolutely. And the thing is with CGMs too, what I always say about them is they can be incredibly powerful in terms of there's, it's, you know, it's information and information can be power, but you have to know how to interpret that information. And that's also why, you know, working with someone is really powerful when using a CGM. I do like people to work with someone when they're using a CGM so that they don't say, oh, I'm never eating blueberries again. They learn how to balance that meal versus, you know, taking out a healthy food out of their diet. So that's my only thing with them is I want people to, yeah. and some people, some people can just wear them on the their own and that's companies, fine. Like Barry will provide coaches yeah. too, which I do it's love because they have such a it's good, um, interesting like relationship with it. But all this to say, you can do something as tiny as putting lemon in your water, even if you're not sure why, and just want to have hope and try something, you could do something as big as getting yourself, you know, a bigger investment, like a biohacking tool. And what's always most important is the intention you put behind it. And I think the word that we're using today is the hope that you put behind it, that every single action you take in your health, even if the action itself isn't the healthy thing, but you decide to take it for a positive reason with positive intention and for hope for yourself will bring you closer towards something. And that could be Again, eating healthier down the line, even though you don't draw the conclusion, it could be feeling less anxiety, whatever it is, but it's really about those actions. Yeah. Hope and being open-minded, right? I love the word open-minded that you use. Carrie, you're my freaking favorite. You were my favorite before and now you're my double, triple favorite. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. I'm blushing again. <laughs> I want you to come swim in the gutter of evolutionary biology with me. I was just going to say, I'm going to go get in that gutter with you. Uh-huh. After, after we walk around the res 20 yeah, times. The reservoir, which is like the opposite <laughs> of the gutter, by the way. It's our, I think Central Park is both of our like most special safe place. Love it's it. my magicalist place in the entire world. It's my Disney I, world. Oh, I love it. I and know, you go I every day. If you guys want to find Carrie Stalker, she's in the Central Park every morning at 5 a.m. Yeah, I was going to say a lot earlier than most people, but yes. Exactly. Exactly. Don't stalk Carrie, please. I'm asking you nicely. Um, Carrie, where can people find the amazing you besides on every single major news network? Um, oh, where can people find the funny. amazing Carrie Glassman? How can they learn from you? So you can go to nutritiouslife.com to my website to learn all kinds of things about the eight pillars, but you can also find me on Instagram, uh, at Carrie Glassman's, my personal at nutritious life and at the nutritious life studio. So lots going on on Instagram. And then, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and, oh, it's not Twitter anymore, X, whatever. So we're, we're everywhere. Go to our website, nutritiouslife.com, and you can find all the links to all the social feeds. And you'll also see the link to my affiliate for nutritious life studio, which is really a program for 
I think it was originally made for dietitians to learn about integrative nutrition, but it's become for any kind of coach, right? Who can actually learn how to be an integrative um, nutritionist. Absolutely. And we have, yeah, we have career changers. We have pharmacists, nurses, yoga instructors, dietitians. Um, it's an incredible six month. Well, I, of course, I'm a little biased, but it's an incredible uh, course is. and amazing supportive community. It's six month. Go at your own pace. Love to see you in the community. If yes, you're a listener I, of Michelle, you're a friend of ours too. <laughs> and that's exactly right. Get in the gutter with us. Um, I can't wait to chat again with you soon. We're going to hang up and then start planning our big Central Park Day. You guys are going to find us there. Don't. I don't know why I'm encouraging the stalking. Don't, guys. Come on. Message us instead. Um, but Carrie, I cannot thank you enough for your ongoing wisdom and just one of the most generous of spirit and warmest people and most open-minded I've ever met. So I have no <laughs> shock. There's no shock from me whatsoever um, that that was your advice. Thank you so much. So great being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Quiet the Diet podcast. If you found any of this information relevant or you related to it, please feel free to share the podcast. It would mean the world to us. Also remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can follow us on Instagram at quiet the diet pod. We'll put the link in the show notes after each episode. Thank you again for listening and I can't wait to see you in the next episode.